Well, good morning. Good to see you all today. Good to be with you. Good to be with God's people. Good to worship. Amen. Let's pray as we look to God's word now. Let's ask for his help this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word because it's powerful. We thank you for your spirit. Lord, we ask that your spirit would be at work today in our hearts to grow and strengthen us in our faith. Lord, we ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This is a picture of my uh, grandpa with a bunch of us a uh, bunch of his grandkids around him, and uh, I'm sure that you are wondering which one is me. If you look at this uh, cute little guy right here with the uh, striped shirt on, good-looking guy, that's my cousin Curtis. <laughs> this schmo over here, <laughs> that, that's me. <laughs> what, a, what a punk. My grandpa, after he retired, this is the house that they retired in, he built this um, bird bath out in his front yard. You see these stones in the fireplace. Uh, that was kind of what he, the, the same kind of stones was what he made the, the bird bath out of. It was really big. It's huge bowl like this. And it was sort of iconic for my grandparents' house. Every time we went to grandpa's, like they had this long driveway, and so you could see the bird bath. And it's like, okay, we're at Grandpa's. There's the bird bath. And one year we were having a family reunion, and uh, my cousin Curtis and I, we were a little bit older than in this picture. We were sword fighting in the front yard. We had taken some croquet mallets and we unscrewed the handles, and we were using them as swords. It was epic. It was totally awesome. If you think of like Wesley battling Inigo Montoya. That's kind of like what it was. If, if you're not familiar with The Princess Bride, think, think like Yoda and Count Dooku. Um, something in that realm. It was amazing. We're all over the place. Parry, jab. I decide I'm going to jump up onto the birdbath. So I'm standing on the birdbath and I'm battling my cousin who's down beneath me. It's totally awesome. And, you know, just like the movies, he sweeps the sword to try to take my legs out. And I jump just at the right time, hit the ground, roll for dramatic effect. I'm like, yes, I turn to find him. And he's just staring open mouthed at the birdbath. Because when I jumped off, that sucker cracked in half. And the bowl like totally broke and a huge hunk just fell on the ground. And I'm like, oh no, that's not good. This is not a good situation. How am I going to get out of this? What am I going to do? I could have ran into the woods around my grandpa's house. I could have lied about it. I could have blamed my cousin, right? But running and, and hiding and lying and blaming, which are all ways that we try to deal with our sin, were all bad ideas. I, I had to do the right thing. I had to come clean. I had to tell uh, my grandpa what I did and ask for his forgiveness. But how would he respond? What's he going to do? But I think the more important question is, how will God respond when we confess our sins to him? Now, my grandpa, he was uh, merciful, he was gracious, he did not punish me 
Um, I escaped from punishment. Um, God acts toward us in a similar way. Although God doesn't sweep our sin under the rug, he punishes his son, Jesus Christ, in our place so that he can still be just. But anyone who repents their sin and puts their faith in Jesus Christ is forgiven their sins. That's the glorious message of the gospel. Amen? Well, this morning we are going to be talking about repentance and how God responds when we repent and turn to him. So turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And just to remind us of where we've been, uh, we've been walking through these chapters, the last several chapters, and we've seen the blessings and the curses of God. We've seen blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, and uh, we've seen uh, just this, th- this picture of, of what happens when we go after other gods. So last week, Pastor Jonathan preached uh, that destruction awaits the deceitful those who go after other gods. But today, we see hope. We see that restoration awaits the repentant. There's hope for the wayward sinner. There's hope for the person who's snared in sin. Hope of forgiveness and favor from God. There's there's hope of life. So this this dark warning uh, of God's wrath that we saw in chapter 9 is going to give way now to the bright light of God's grace in chapter 30. Moses is giving these these sort of two pictures, potential pictures of the future. There's the the possibility of of disobedience leading to exile, and then there's the possibility of, of restoration if they turn back to God. And right in between those two pictures, we get Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the Things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, why would Moses say this right here? I believe it's to uh, encourage, to motivate our faithfulness. Even though their future was uncertain and hidden, what was certain and revealed was God's commands in his word, and they must obey him but trust him with their future. Now, obviously, there's a lot of things that God has not revealed to us. The secret things are beyond our knowledge. They include uh, the future. They include the details of God's plans and providence. Those things belong to the Lord. They're his concern, not ours. We can't see the total picture and how everything is going to fit together as we move through history. And this teaches us, it reminds us that we need to be humble and trust God with the future, even though at times it's very difficult and we, we would really like to know more of what God is doing and why God is doing it. We must rest content with what he's given and trust him with what he's hidden. Just like Israel, though, we are responsible for what he's revealed. The revealed things belong to us. The revealed will of God in his word is given to us, it says, that we might do all the words of this law. Scripture is sufficient for every matter of faith and practice. You've heard us say that here before. God has revealed enough in his word that we might truly know him and love him and obey him and serve him and worship him. It's enough. Even though much is hidden, God has revealed enough to us to know him, to know how to be saved and to know how to live in a way that pleases him, and we have to trust him with the rest. 
So beyond the, the, the curse of exile lay this hope of restoration. If they turned back to the Lord, then he would have compassion on them. He would restore them. So this text gives us hope, just like it gives them hope. Because when we turn back to the Lord, we'll be restored. What we're going to see is that God is not going to be defeated by Israel's failures. And he won't be defeated by yours either. Whether it's a past, present, or even a future failure, beyond all of that stands God's steadfast love and his covenant faithfulness, and he will not fail. We have this hope, we have this assurance, because our perseverance in the faith rests on God's faithfulness. That's our hope. That's our assurance. And see, this, what we're going to see today in Deuteronomy 31 through 10, it's the balance to what we saw in chapters 27 through 29. It's the balance to the warnings. Remember we said that the warnings in Scripture are there. They stress our side of things. They, they stress the fact that we have to remain faithful to God. That's our part. But now today we see God's part. We see that, that God is going to give us a new heart so that we will love Him fully and live. We're going to see that in, in verse 6. It's the centerpiece of our text today. So the message for us is this. Turn to the Lord and love and obey Him with all your heart and all your soul. When we sin, we'll be restored if we return to God. So we're going to try to answer six questions about repentance today. The first one is this. What is repentance? Repentance is a change in your heart and your mind regarding sin that leads to a change in how you live. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Moses says, When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and soul, then he's going to talk about how God will restore them. And Moses says, when they call to mind, that's literally when they return to heart or when they return to mind. We could say when they return to their senses, there's this work that's, that's happening in their hearts. It's a change of disposition, and it leads them to a, a change in direction. When you come to your senses about all these things, what things? The blessings and the curses, the fact that they're suffering in exile as a consequence for their sin. When they realize that and they return to the Lord, that is, they obey the voice of the Lord with all their heart and soul, that's our picture of repentance. There's this change in heart that leads to a change in action. Their disposition changes and it leads to a different direction in the way that they live. So they were thinking and acting in this direction and they turn and now they're thinking and acting a different way. They turn away from their sin and they turn toward God. That's repentance. They turn away from sin and obey the Lord with all their heart and soul. This is why the Bible says bear fruit in keeping with repentance because a changed heart always and must lead to a changed life. Now think about the prodigal son. That guy lost everything because of his sin. And the Bible says, then he came to himself. It's like our text. 
And he decided to confess his sins to his father. And that change of heart led to a change in direction. He went home. Repentance requires humility. You have to admit that you were wrong. You have to submit to God's rule. It's the exact opposite of Pride Month, which celebrates and flaunts sin and rejection of God and his ways. When we repent, we say, God, I was wrong. This is sin. Your way is right and best. Forgive me. I will obey you. I will live how you command. Repentance, then, is a turning away from sin and a turning to God in faith at the same time. It's two sides of the same coin. So just like you can't have the sun without light or ice without cold or fire without heat, you can't have repentance without faith. Those two things always go hand in hand. Repentance, true repentance, begins with a knowledge of sin. We come to our senses. We see God's law. We see how we failed to keep it. It leads then to a godly sorrow for sin. And above all, we're, we're sorry that we've displeased God, that we've dishonored God, because we've sinned against God primarily. And that knowledge of sin and sorrow for sin leads us to confess our sin. It leads us to cry out to God for pardon, for grace and forgiveness. We're like that tax collector in the temple who beats his chest and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We don't hide or downplay our sin. But real repentance doesn't stop there. It moves on and it's seen in breaking off sin. The life of a person who repents is changed. Think of Zacchaeus. When he met Jesus, afterwards, he gave away half of his goods to the poor, and he repaid what he owed four times over. I just love the radical change that takes place in his life. He's moving in a new direction. You read that story, and if you're honest, you're kind of like, man, that guy's going to go broke. Like we, We're like, you give away half and now you're paying back four times over? We're afraid for Zacchaeus. But he's all in with Jesus. It's this radical change of direction in his life. It's absolutely amazing. You see, the grace of God worked in his heart and led him to repent and believe. How do we know that? Because of his changed life. It's absolutely amazing. He's a new man. Hey, Zach, you owe me a hundred bucks. Here's 400 bucks. It's incredible. A repentant man or woman strives to avoid sin, to fight sin, to have victory over sin, and simultaneously strives, however imperfectly, to obey God. You see? Even though we fall short, often, the general direction of our life is away from sin and towards God. Why do we need repentance? See this in verses 3 through 5. We've seen over and over again in the last couple chapters that sin leads to misery and destruction and death. As Pastor Jonathan said last week, the only escape is to turn back to God. That's how we find restoration. So look at verses 3 through 5. Moses says, when you return to the Lord your God, verse 3, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord has scattered you. 
If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he'll make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And if you look at verse 9, the Lord will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand and in the fruit of your womb, and he'll delight in prospering you. Look at what God does when they repent. Notice then it's not just our disposition and direction that changes. It's God's disposition and direction that changes. Now he has compassion on them. Whereas before he was pouring out his wrath on them in judgment. He's got compassion on his people and he turns to restore them. He gathers them. He takes them back as his own. He pours out his blessing on them. And God's compassion and mercy are amazing. These are the people who rejected God who turned away from him to chase after idols, who rejected him again and again and again, people who sinned greatly. Why would God have mercy on them and restore them? Because that's who our God is. He's a God of compassion and mercy. Beloved, this should make you stand in awe of who our God is. He's like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. The son is feeding pigs and he's longing to eat the scraps from the pigs and he decides he's going to go home and repent. He's going to confess his sins. He says says to himself, I'm going to go home. I'm going to say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a hired servant. And when he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and the son repents his sin and the father restores him. He says to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and kill the fatted calf. Let's eat. Let's celebrate. For this, my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. It's incredible. It's an amazing picture. But it's exactly what we're seeing in our text today in Deuteronomy. It's exactly the same. When they repent, God has compassion and mercy and he restores them. Oh, do you see the hope here for us? Do you see the hope of restoration here for us? No matter how great the sin or severe the judgment or how far they've been scattered, even to the uttermost parts of heaven. Restoration awaits those who repent. God is ready to show mercy, to forgive, to cleanse, to save, to sanctify, to give life for those who are truly repentant. But God requires that every rebel lay down his arms. Why do you need repentance? Because without it, there is no hope of restoration to God. You remain God's enemy. There's no forgiveness, no hope of heaven, no salvation without repentance. We just continue on the path of misery and destruction and death. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. All, all people without exception need repentance towards God. It's not just for liars and thieves and murderers. It's for everybody. Like Pastor Stephen said, you're in a room full of sinners. That means you're in a room full of people who need to repent. Amen, somebody? 
And this is for bankers and barbers and students and senior citizens and everyone. doesn't matter who you are. Every person has sinned. All must repent and believe. You cannot reach heaven without repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Their restoration is linked to their need to repent and obey God, but what we see is that even their ability to do that is grounded on a prior work of God's grace in their heart, giving them a new heart so that they will love Him and fully obey Him and they might live. This leads us to question three. What leads to repentance? The answer is God does a heart surgery. Look at verse six. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. Moses now comes to the heart of the problem. Pun intended. Their heart needs renewal. They need a new heart. The central truth here in this text, this passage, is that God himself is going to bring about this inward renewal so that they will love God fully. This is an act of God's own gracious initiative. The source of their turning to God and loving God and obeying God is God himself. Do you see that? God is the hero of the story. God is the hero of their story and your story. This way God gets all the glory. When you share your testimony, make sure that God is the hero of the story. Your testimony is the story of how God in His grace has worked you, worked in your heart, and God has led you to repentance and faith, and God has saved you in Jesus Christ. It's God from beginning to end. God is the hero of the story. God saved you. Or you share the testimony of how God has worked in your life. Put the spotlight on him. You remember Zacchaeus, right? We mentioned him, sweet little man. He climbs up into a sycamore tree because he wants to see Jesus. It's a great story. It's, it's such a fun and fascinating story. He looks, Jesus came to the place and he looked up and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. I love that. I love that it says that Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully. It's the first outward sign of his faith in Jesus. God's enemies, Jesus' enemies, they don't receive him joyfully. So he receives him joyfully. He's never met Jesus before in his life, but Jesus knows his name. Just like he knows all the name, all the names of his sheep. He didn't invite Jesus over. Jesus invited himself over. The story begins with Zacchaeus seeking Jesus, but there's something deeper and far more important going on. Jesus, the Savior, is seeking him. It's why the story ends, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what this story is about. It's a story about how Jesus came to save lost people and to, and to, to bring them to himself. Jesus says, I must stay at your house. Why? This is God's sovereign grace. 
This is God's divine plan. You know, for, on Zacchaeus' side of things, it might seem like this marvelous piece of luck that Jesus just happens to be walking by today. But this isn't luck. This is God's divine plan. Laid down before the foundation of the earth, before Zacchaeus was ever born. I love that God brings his own welcome. He opens our hearts to receive Jesus in faith. Jesus knows everything about Zacchaeus. He knows his sins, his lying, his cheating, his stealing, his extortion, and still he comes to Zacchaeus to save him, to rescue him. Zacchaeus isn't saved because he's good or because he's seeking Jesus. It's because Jesus is seeking him. He's seeking to save sinners. Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. You see, if God didn't first work in our hearts, we would never respond to him. We would never turn to him, believe in him, love him, follow him. When God calls a sinner, the Holy Spirit does everything inside of us that needs to be done for us to come to Jesus and be saved. He convicts us of sin. He leads us to confess. He reveals who Jesus is. He moves our heart to repent and receive Jesus by faith. Salvation is a gift of God's grace from first to last. Now, this doesn't excuse our responsibility to repent and believe. It enables it. It makes it possible. Remember last week, Pastor Jonathan did that object lesson with the cup? Do you remember the cup? The cup was supposed to represent our heart, and God was pouring. He was pouring water, and the water was like the love of God being poured into our hearts. Do you remember that? Poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and then to show our hardness of heart, he took like a ceramic plate and put it over the top of the cup and he poured the water over that and the water hit that hard plate and just bounced off and it wouldn't go in. That's our hardness of heart. Here in this verse, in verse 6, we're seeing that God is the one who removes the plate so that we can receive him. God changes our heart. See, Moses is pointing forward to this future day when God is going to give them a new heart. He's pointing forward already to the new covenant. You can hear Moses' words in the background when God says through the prophet Ezekiel, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel 36, 24 to 27. God deals with man's fundamental problem, our sinful hearts. And when God circumcised a person's heart, that person is changed. They will love God, heart and soul, and that love will be demonstrated in joyful obedience. Don't you see the greatest command, love God with all your heart and all your soul? That's the greatest command. That command is ultimately the fruit of God's grace in giving us a new heart. We obey that command because God has already worked in our heart. God supplies what he demands. Israel's hope is not in their ability to keep God's law, to love and obey God in their own power, but by God's power and God's grace and God's spirit. God is the hero of the story. Amen? Now, fourth, where does repentance lead us? What's the goal? Look at verse 6 again. We've already seen 
some of this, God will renew their heart so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. We've just been talking about that. Then he adds, that you may live. That's the end goal. That's the end goal, is life. Repentance and faith leads to restoration with God, as we've seen. It leads to forgiveness and peace with God and true life. When God gives us a new heart, then people will be able to love the Lord fully and live. Moses is certain that their failure, their their time in exile, that's not going to be the end of the story. That's not going to be the last word because God is faithful and he's not going to fail. He's going to circumcise the hearts of his people and notice the hearts of their children, leading to true repentance and faith. Everyone in the new covenant community will have a new heart and a new spirit. Everyone. As God says through the prophet Jeremiah, I will make a new covenant and they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. Everyone in the new covenant will know the Lord and have his law written on their heart. They will all know the Lord and experience the forgiveness of sins and have the Spirit of God. That's what's new about the new covenant. In the old covenant, not everybody savingly knew the Lord. In the new covenant, every person in the new covenant will savingly know the Lord. Or you're not in it. You've got to know the Lord to be in the new covenant community. The New Covenant community is made up of those people who savingly know the Lord, who've been born of the Spirit, who have their hearts circumcised, who have the law written on their hearts, and the Spirit of God will cause us to walk in His ways. They'll love the Lord, so they live. This is why the New Testament teaches that we join the New Covenant community through faith in Jesus Christ, not through baptism. Baptism doesn't make you a part of the New Covenant community. Because everyone who's in the New Covenant community knows the Lord. They have a new heart, a new spirit. The Spirit of God is in them. That comes through faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one who makes us a new creation, who brings forgiveness of sins, who restores us, and who gives us eternal life. So what's the goal? Where does it lead us? It leads us to restoration to God and everything that that means. We could go on for hours about what that means, but the text is showing us several things. We have this relationship, this right relationship with God, but we also have this promise that, that God is going to judge our enemies, verse 7, and then he's going to motivate our faithfulness, verse 2 and verse 8, and then he's going to delight to bless us, verse 9. It leads to loving God and fellowship with him and true life. It leads to thanks and praise and joy. Now, are there any encouragements for us to repent? We've seen already several of them. First, the character of God, his compassion and his mercy, as well as his grace and his delight to bless us. Oh, we have a gracious Lord and Savior who came to seek and to save the lost. Amen? We also see the promises of God. Jesus promised, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. John 6, 37. God says, whoever confesses and forsakes their sin will obtain mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. God says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And as we read this morning, God says there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. But then there's also the saints of God. Think, think of 
King David's great sins when he turned to God after his great sin and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And God says to him, the Lord has put away your sin. 2 Samuel 12, 13. Though there were very great earthly consequences for his sin, very great, David was not condemned. Or think of Peter. He denied the Lord Jesus three times in public. And when he mourned for his sin, he found God's mercy. Jesus restored him to relationship with himself and his role as an apostle. Think about the thief on the cross. That's a desperate situation, right? He's dying on the cross. He knows he's guilty for his sins. He admits it. He's like, we deserve to be here. And then in faith, he looks to Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Oh, that's faith. To see Jesus dying on the cross and to know he's going to have a kingdom, he's going to live, it's amazing. And then the response comes. Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, but we could talk about Manasseh. We could talk about Job. We could talk about Josiah. We could talk about Zacchaeus. We could talk about Paul. Why are all these examples recorded for us in Scripture? They're there, brothers and sisters, to encourage us, to encourage us to repent, to turn back to the Lord and find restoration. They're a great cloud of witnesses showing us that when we repent toward God and have faith in Jesus Christ, we have restoration. So don't ignore your sin. Don't hide your sin. Repent of your sin. Let me conclude with this sixth question. How should we respond? This is a call to to repent and believe. First, a word of invitation. If you feel your guilt, your sins, let me encourage you today to repent without delay. If you intend to go to heaven, if you want to go to heaven, you must repent and believe. Turn away from your sin and flee to Jesus Christ in faith. Go to Jesus. Tell him you're a sinner. Tell him you want him to save you. He will hear your cry for mercy and he will forgive you and he will save you. Maybe you're like that tax collector and you cry out to God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He'll pour a spirit on you. He will save your soul. He will give you peace with God and a place in heaven with eternal life. Then resolve with God's help to break with sin and obey the Lord with all your heart and all your soul. God gives you everything you need to do everything he asks. He'll pour out his grace upon you. Second, a word of exhortation. For those of you who are Christians in the room who know and love the Lord Jesus, The exhortation is this, keep up your repentance. When you sin, repent, turn back to Jesus. This is how we maintain our relationship with the Lord Jesus. This is how we walk in fellowship with him, how we enjoy God. Otherwise, we don't. So keep up your repentance. Beware of dabbling with sin, thinking, oh, this isn't that big a deal. I don't really need, there's there's no real need here. What, What starts off in your life, like cobwebs in the corner of your house, which you can easily sweep away, if left alone, unrepented, and you go on in those sins, those little cobwebs become like iron chains around you. So go regularly and sweep out all the rooms of your heart with repentance. There's always going to be sins to hate and to confess. Take them daily to Jesus Christ and find daily from Jesus Christ fresh mercy, fresh grace. 
even now, right now, right now, what sin in your life is God calling you to repent of? Listen to the Lord. What sin is God tugging on your heart to turn away from today, to repent? Perhaps you're like the prodigal son. You're far afield and you're wayward. Come back to the Father. Oh, his arms are open to embrace you. There's such hope in this passage. When you repent of your sin, you will be restored. So turn to the Lord. Love him, trust him, obey him with all your heart, all your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for giving us new hearts in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you change us so that we would go in a new direction, that we would love you and live for you and have true life in Jesus Christ. God, we love you because you first loved us. And we just ask that you would help us to obey your voice with all our heart and soul. God, grant us the grace and strength to be faithful. When we sin, Lord, would you lead us once again to repent that we could be forgiven and restored in relationship with you. Lord, we want to walk in fellowship with you. We want to know the joy of your presence. Would you make us glad with the joy of your presence? Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.